Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph will bring a message entitled, Is Your Sword in Hand? We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, let's join Pastor Ralph. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. And it's talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. And this is the last piece of armor that is described to us in, in Ephesians 6, talking about the spiritual battle that we all face. And as we get into this, I want to just contextualize it once again by starting back at verse 10 and then reading to verse 17, which is our actual text. Apostle Paul says, a final word, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. You know, we are taught to be self-sufficient and independent. In America, we're taught to live independent lives, independent of family, independent of, of, of anything. We stand on our own in ways that no other culture on earth does, and the rest of the world is starting to resent us for it. We hate tradition. We want to do our own thing. And so what happens to us as Christians is we get sucked up in that and we're, we begin to be, it's almost like we have body armor that protects us from the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our life. And this is saying, take another look here and put yourself in a place of being strong in the Lord's mighty power. Get to the place that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life and that basically you do that by your prayer life. This whole thing ends by telling us to continue praying in the Spirit and that's how that we walk in the Lord. That's how we exercise and use the armor of God against the things the devil wants to do. It says in verse 11, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. This is the point here. So you're standing You'll stand firm against all the strategies and tricks, the lies and schemes of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. Big mistake. You get into some snit with somebody at work or there's some political thing that keeps you from getting a promotion that you full well deserve. Or you go to some family reunion and there's somebody who's just out of sorts and ruins your whole time there. Or they decide to gun you down every time that you're around them. They're treating you badly. Or like the man I talked to this morning, you're trying to make a decision for the welfare of your children and all of your relatives jump in and they begin to, to, to force their opinion upon you. And it says here, we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. There are spiritual forces that are invisible and you at least got to get out of this text that they're organized. There's strategic organization and structure in their ranks and they're trying to mess with you by messing with other people. And when you get all hostile toward the other people, then you fall prey to, to their schemes. When you give in to the other people, you fall prey to their schemes. There's a place where we need to learn to stand not in personal independence, but in dependence upon God, and then stand against those things that pressure us and move us in ways that we ought not to move. And that having done all to stand, the King James says what we're going to read here, having done all to stand, stand firm therefore. That you get to a place where you know who you are, you know what you're about, and you stand. But here's the deal. 
The Bible clearly, from Genesis to Revelation, tells us that we are caught in spiritual warfare. There is a conflict of empires, if, there, if it would be, like Star Wars. And there's the empire of God, and there's the empire of Satan. And this world, because of mankind choosing to obey Satan, came under the rule of the emperor of darkness. And it's the emperor of darkness and his, his dark minions. The Bible uses the word demons, fallen angels, angels that rebelled against God, that are manipulating people. And when you get into it with somebody and you start to fight on a physical level or an emotional level, you're going to lose because even if you win the battle, you lost the war, what you really need to do is take up the things of the Spirit and begin to go to war in prayer and begin to pray about circumstances and watch the Lord change things. We've been talking so much about ministry in the marketplace and taking our prayer life into the community where we're at. And I'm hearing story after story of people who their boss is facing a problem and they come and kind of meekly say, you know, I'm a Christian. Is it okay if I pray for our company? And, you know, it's very intriguing to me. As soon as you put God on display in front of non-Christian people, somehow things start to pop in. God reaches out overboard to minister to people. But I was talking to a friend of mine who's an attorney the other day, and he was involved in a, in a litigation that, that was a, a couple of, of large companies. If I, if I named them, you would recognize them. The one was a creditor. The other was the borrower who is now in bankruptcy, and things are looking very grim. And it just turns out that this man, because of what we've been saying about doing marketplace ministry, he doesn't go to our church, he goes to another one of our Hope Chapels, has for some time now been, I would say, pastoring. There's a, it's like a small church of people in downtown Honolulu who meet in his office for lunch every Thursday at, at noon in a, in a conference room, and they basically pray about stuff going on in their community. And he's the leader of it. Well, I would call him a pastor of a little pocket church. I'm not sure that he would accept that term, but it's, that's what's really going on there. And these people have been meeting for a long time. And it just so happens that he's the lead attorney in this thing, representing the creditor. And the person who's the lead attorney for the people who are in bankruptcy is there. And they get what they sense is a word from the Lord. That it would be, you know, I think sometimes we use the word symbolic. People are using the term prophetic acts. It would be a prophetic act if the two attorneys who are opposed to each other in the courtroom and must be and cannot talk to each other and discuss the case would simply pray together and say, Lord, we're asking your blessing on this process and we're asking for you to resolve this issue. And less than a week later, the loans that the company in bankruptcy were seeking that looked like were never going to happen, all of a sudden fell into place and everyone is covered. All of the debt is paid and the company has enough money at hand to get back on board and do the things that they need to do. This is a place where you're not fighting against people, but you're beginning to use the, the spiritual weapons and you go to war by praying together and you see God do something, and I believe it was of monstrous significance that the two people who would be in a position, if, it were, if you'd see it this way, to lead the opposition, to lead the battle and clash with each other, came together and said, Lord, 
We, as Christians, we're in the kingdom of light. We submit this to you, and we ask you to intervene. And he said that it wasn't specific prayers. They weren't saying, do this, this, and this, and this. They're just saying, Lord, here's, here's us in the midst of the process. We humbly come and surrender to you. And, and, and what happens is the darkness rolls back, and God's grace is there. And there's a lot of people in Honolulu rejoicing over this because there's an awful lot of people that are going to keep their job as a result of this company not going under. Is this making headway? It goes on and says in verse 13, use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy. And I'm going to skip a bunch of it because we've been talking about it. Drop to verse 17. Put on salvation as your helmet. And then it says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when we think of the Word of God, what do you think of? The Bible. But the Bible by itself is just a book on a shelf. It doesn't become valid in your life until you take a hold of it and you use it. And you begin to apply it to your life. But it says more here. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now we're beginning to talk about the Spirit applying the Word of God or the words of God to our life. For that to happen, I need to be interactive. There needs to be some reading of my Bible so I know the things, the truths that the Bible has for me so that the Spirit has something He can give to me because for most people, other than the conviction that brought you to the Lord, and even that usually involves the Scripture, is something suddenly clicked and it made sense. And I'm here to tell you that that making sense process, that coming to life of the Scripture is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, even before you're a Christian. And so as the, the, the Bible becomes the sword of the Spirit, the word of the Lord, as I interact with it, this is why you read your Bible. You know, I know people still in this church who are terribly religious, and they'll tell me that they, they read their Bible, and it's like a, a, a task, and they're doing this to somehow please God. They're, it's like payback, or they're trying to buy favor from God. That's stupid. I mean, if you read the Bible, it's stupid. God doesn't want that. He says, I, I, I don't want sacrifice. I want an obedient heart. You read the Bible, so you're loading up with ammo. You've got something for the Spirit to work. There's, I know enough of the Scripture that when I'm in a tight spot, the Holy Spirit can go, remember this verse? Do this. And all of a sudden, it comes to life. Does that make sense to you? The term that's used here, I'll be careful of how I'm saying this, the term that's used here in the Greek to describe the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the Greek term rhema. And where it says word in your Bible, you might write down the, the, the Greek term, R-H-E-M-A. And then pick a little equals, applied words. Okay? Rhema equals applied words. The Greek term rhema translates to the English term word here. But it really means taking the word of God, and there's another term for that we'll get into in a minute, logos, and taking the Logos, which is the scripture itself, the body of the words of God, and applying it to your heart. Rhema, once you're used to God bringing scripture to your remembrance and helping you make decisions and whatever, then Rhema also begins to be where God will speak to you. And you, you know, you're about to make some business decision and there, there comes this sense of, oh no, I shouldn't do that. And that's the voice of the Lord. And he'll, he'll convict us and he'll direct us. And sometimes you get more than that. As you get used to hearing God, you know, the prophet Elijah said, God speaks with a still small voice. You begin in your mind to, to know and decipher between your own thoughts and God as he's speaking to your life. And, and so 
all of this becomes the only aggressive weapon that's described in all of the armor of God here, the word of God, as it applies in my life, and I start to act on it. And that becomes the sword of the spirit that helps me stand against the devil. I believe that when those two people in that prayer meeting got together, because they prayed privately, they didn't pray in the, the rest of the group, the one person felt God's telling me that it would be important if you and I just prayed together and offered this project to him, this problem to him, that then he would unravel it and he would do something. They were acting on the instigation of the Holy Spirit. They had the rhema of God and they were doing something with the rhema of God. Am I making sense to y'all? Because there's another term that's used and you might want to write a note in your Bible right here so you could find it and, and link the two together where it says, where you wrote Rama someplace right down Colossians chapter 3. And in verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to work backwards through these two verses. I, I want you to see in verse 17 that it says, whatever you do or say, you, not, not the pastor, you, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, because that's what you are wherever you go. The only way that people are ever going to come to know the Lord in this church is through you, not through me. You know, you heard somebody say they accepted the Lord because of the church. No, they accepted the Lord because somebody shared the Lord with them and brought them to the church. And I'm sort of the deal closer on Sunday, right? I get up and pray with people to ask the Lord into their life. But I believe that most of those people already accepted the Lord or they wouldn't pray with me. That somewhere in their heart, they gave assent to what the Lord was doing in their life as a result of you sharing your faith and being a representative of the Lord Jesus. And we always need to keep that in mind. Backing up, it tells us that we should use his words to teach and counsel each other. So we, we strengthen each other. Uh, we, we use God's word as, as, a, as guidelines for our life. You know, go read the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. It's great. Read a chapter a day. It's, it's wisdom, wisdom, wisdom in Proverbs. And so the Bible becomes a tool for making decisions. Then it says, sing psalms, you know, scripture songs, hymns, songs that we write, and spiritual songs. And because he makes the distinction, you have to link it to 1 Corinthians 14, where he talks about singing to the Lord in a prayer language that God gives you for private devotional worship. Do all of that to the Lord. Then back up in verse 16, it says, let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Let his words live in your hearts and make you wise. If they live in your heart, they will make you wise. The term that is used in the Greek that gets translated W-O-R-D-S here is logos, L-O-G-O-S. Let the words of Christ live in your hearts and make you wise. It's talking about the written down scripture. Let the written down scripture live in your hearts and make you wise. How do you do that? Well, to me, I read my Bible, but I do more than read my Bible. I mark my Bible up like crazy. I write notes all over it. If I were sitting here this morning, I would have already written down what Rhema is, the directions from Ephesians over into to Colossians. I would have written someplace, Rhema is, is different than Logos in Ephesians. And over here in Colossians, I'd be writing about how to get back to Ephesians and find the Rhema thing because Logos differs from Rhema. 
Logos is the written scripture. Rhema is the written scripture applied. Or rhema is the, the word of God spoken directly to your heart as you mature in the Lord and you begin to hear more of that. And, and so we need to have this understanding because what I need to do is tank up on logos so the Holy Spirit has something to do in terms of rhema in my life. Make sense? So as I read the Bible, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm letting the word of God reign in my life. As I mark my Bible up, my Bible becomes a roadmap. And so I have access to the scripture. But I try to memorize scripture. If something's important to me, then I really want to zero in on it, and I do want to hang on to it. And I'll, I'll write it on a three-by-five card and stick it around in front of my desk or you know, put it on the bathroom mirror or put it in my car with a speedometer, uh, do all kinds of things with it. But I, I want to be able to put the word of God in my mind so it becomes a sword in my hand. Does this seem reasonable to you? I mean, it just seems like what God would have given us the scripture for. I want you to go back to this picture here. Take up your sword. Take up your sword. What do you do? Well, you do the things I've been saying, but you do them. You don't just come to church and hear about them. You know, one of the, the, the bad things about church is it's become a spectator deal. A lot of us expect to go in, get mildly entertained, hear something that's warm and, and, and encourages our hearts, maybe learn a little something and go home, and we compartmentalize our lives. And so we, we don't really take what we're hearing to heart and we don't apply it and it, it, it doesn't become a major issue in our life. There comes a point of you taking up the sword. There comes a point of you understanding even in the spiritual battle that we're facing, we take captives. You know, what, you, what you're trying to do is take people, there are people in your life that you tend to look down on because they're despicable people. There's a certain sort of a self-righteousness that's very ugly but it's in all of us. There, there, we, we come to a point, we all do it. At some point, we, we look down our nose at people. We're superior to this person. And yet, you got to get to a point where you realize, God loves that person. And he's put me in their life to rescue them from Satan's clutches. And it's possible, but it's only going to happen as I take in my hand the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord, and I do the things that God wants to do in my life to do something to affect that person's life. I've got to grab the sword or it's useless. Are you with me? Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and we'll, we'll end with this. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 12 says, For the word of God, the logos of God, is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. The logos of God is sharp. And it's able to penetrate and pierce our thoughts and our desires. The King James Version says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to cut between the soul and the spirit. It gets to the heart of things. One of the things that I learned in sharing my faith with people is, early on I learned I could beat people up with, with logic. I had a crisis. I was a pastor and I came up to my first Easter sermon. And all of a sudden it was a whole different thing than when I was running a youth group. And I begin to question, do I really believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And it really shook me. I mean, I was, you know, you can be intellectually dishonest as a Christian and just sort of buy into stuff. But I, I'm at the point where I'm going, hey, it, it dawned on me, if this didn't happen, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting a lot of other people's time. And so I went on this book binge. I like to do that. I get on a subject and I just, you know, I like to read. 
before I moved to Hawaii, I got onto, I came here and visited Pearl Harbor and I got on a World War II kick. I read 34 books in a row about World War II in the Pacific. I knew a lot and I forgot it all. <laughs> but I got into this thing of, of reading books about the resurrection and I, I found, it was interesting, I found several authors who were lawyers who set out to disprove Christianity and their legal mind went to work on this thing and they came, they, as they look at it, they go, here's eyewitnesses. Here's written accounts and testimonies. Here's people who died for what they believed. Here's the, here's the only possibilities other than the resurrection. The disciples stole the body. Why would they all die for that? Because they didn't die all together. It wasn't a Jim Jones deal. They're all over the Roman Empire and they're killed one after another because they refused to say anything other than he was alive after he's dead. The other theory is that the disciples hallucinated, but they didn't see Jesus in a hallucination setting. You, you get a bunch of people together, you darken the lights, you light a candle, and everybody sees something. But these people met with him at different occasions, in different groupings. They ate food with him. He cooked the food they ate, and they died for their testimony. It wasn't a hallucination. He swooned. He never died. He went into the temple or into the, into the tomb and the cool air of the tomb revived him. But anybody that's taken first aid knows that somebody is in shock. You don't cool their body to revive them. You warm their body to protect their life. As I read this, I come out going, there, there's no other answer. Jesus rose from the dead. It's there. Well, then I started beating people up with it. I can remember the, the epitome of this was a I took a bunch of, uh, some young people, we went on a, on a youth deal to go out and share our faith with people to teach them how to share their faith at school. And we'd go to the L.A. airport because you're never going to see this person again in your life so you don't have to be embarrassed. You know, however it goes, it's fine. And, and we walked up to some young kid, he was a college student and had this backpack and all this stuff. And, and we started to ask him if, you know, talk to, if we can talk to him about the Lord. And, and oh, Christians. And, and it turns out he was a philosophy major at Berkeley in his junior year. And he gets his smile on his face and he goes, do you, do you know that your faith comes down to the resurrection? If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can disprove Christianity. You guys are wasting your time. And I go, yeah, well, let's talk about it. And we talked. And I was loaded. You know, the Alzheimer's thing hadn't kicked in yet. I ground the guy to a pulp. He left, I left him with his head hanging. He actually asked for a Bible. We gave him one. But I did that to a lot of people. And it, and it was, it was kind of, I think sometimes as Christians, we feel like we're sort of in this minority position. The media is always eating lunch on us. And every so often we get a chance to fight back. And so, you know, I just go out and whack somebody intellectually. And nobody ever accepted the Lord because of that. And then I had a friend of mine that was a brilliant scientist. And he came along because somebody loved him and shared a little bit of scripture in his life. And it's like, wow, what's this all about? And so I, 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 what I found is that the word of God is what penetrates somebody's life. And so to me, the way, the way that I want to share my faith now is if somebody's in trouble, because usually that's the open door, then they want you to comfort them. So you comfort them and you don't preach at them. And then the Holy Spirit will take the logos in your life and turn it into rhema. And he'll give you some little thought, some little word. And, and the best way to say that to him is, you know, I, I, I go to church, I'm a Christian, and there's this, there's this verse in the Bible that's very meaningful to me. I just wonder if it would mean anything to you. I just want to share it with you and take it or leave it. And you share it with them. And it's a little thought bomb. 
It'll go off in their mind. It's the word of God that's the sword that'll cut to their innermost thoughts. And, and, and either it will or it won't. And you don't even put yourself in a position of jeopardy. You're not going, you better believe this. You're just going, I wonder if this would have any meaning to you. Here. And those are the moments that change people's lives. When you're trying to share your faith with people, those are the moments. But we got to come back to the beginning. We've got to have the sort of the seedbed of this thing. I've got to have, it's like having the logos in my mind is like having the sword right here on my belt. If I take the time to know the logos and to know, and you'll never know all of it, who could memorize the Bible? But you got it there. And then there comes the moment that the Spirit says, say this, or make this decision based on this. Now you got the sword out and in hand, and it's doing some good for somebody. And it's rolling back the darkness that Satan wants to put on people. We're not fighting against people, folks. We're fighting against evil. And we fight it with the Word of God. And we win. We win. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 